This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. It's now time for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. From amazing stories to colorful personalities, join us as we go in-depth with the men and women that make up the Oakland Athletics Organization. It all starts right now. It's time for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We've got a great one for you today. You want to talk about some phenomenal names? Jim Palmer, the Hall of Famer. The greatest sports agent of all time, Scott Boris. The A's first-round draft pick of this year, Logan Davidson out of Clemson, and Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff are all going to be a part of A's Unfiltered today. And, of course, if you're going to have all those names, you got to start with Jim Palmer, one of the greatest pitchers to have ever lived, three-time World Series champion, three-time American League Cy Young Award winner, six-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove winner, Three times he led the American League in wins. Two times he led the American League in ERA. Pitched a no-hitter August 13, 1969. He's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He's in the Baltimore Orioles Hall of Fame. And he won 20 games eight times. Think about that. Eight times he won 20 games. And the cool thing was when the Orioles were in town, Jim came down to our set. And right where we're doing... A's cast live right by the A's dugout on the third base side. And when he came walking up, you're like, wow, it's Jim Palmer. Not only will we talk baseball with Jim Palmer, we'll also talk about his time as the spokesperson for Jockey. And if you're old enough to remember, no one was bigger in tidy whities than Jim Palmer. Here is the great Hall of Famer. We are now joined by one of the greatest pitchers of all time, a three-time World Series champion, a three-time Cy Young Award winner, six-time All-Star, and it's an honor to have you on the program. Jim Palmer, thank you so much for coming down and be a part of this. Well, you're welcome. I assume I'm on. Yes, you are on. You are on. We are on live, and we're rocking. So, you know, looking at today's baseball, we were just talking about it, you know, and and because so many A's fans remember the great battles you had against the Oakland A's, especially in the 70s. Boy, have the game has changed. Well, yeah, I mean, they had a pretty nice team. I mean, you you know, come in, well, you know, it started, uh, what, 71, I guess, was the first year we played the A's. You know, we would lose to the Pirates in seven games, but to get to the World Series back then, you didn't. You only had the one, uh, you had the championship series, well, kind of the division series, three out of five, and we ended up beating the A's. I actually pitched here. I threw 169 pitches in a game, gave up three home runs, two to Reggie to the opposite field, and then Sal Bando hit one, but we won five to three, and then 169 pitches in the first um, uh, World Series game against the Pirates. A little different era there, but they, they, you know, they had some tremendous teams here, and then, you know, 72, uh, we didn't get to the playoffs. 73 and four, they beat us in the playoffs, and 
you know, those years, as you know, they were, you know, the uh, the A's won. In fact, I was looking at their team ERAs in 72, 3, and 4 when they won the championships. Incredibly low, like 269, you know, 309, and another one in, uh, way under three runs a game. So uh, the ball wasn't as lively then as it is now. And you said 169 pitches. There's no way you'd ever see anything like that again. Well, we used to count them. Uh, you know, we used to have a pitching chart, and the day before you'd pitch, you'd, you'd uh, you know, you'd keep track of it. But they didn't really care. I, I, my first start in, um, you know, I kind of had to be with the club in 65 uh, because back then you didn't have a 40-man roster. You, you only had 25 guys and one guy you could protect. So I stayed in the big leagues, and the next year I thought I was going to the uh, minor leagues, and a bunch of guys got hurt in spring training. So my first start was in Fenway Park. I hit a home run because it was before the DH. Threw 177 pitches and uh, won 8-1 and, uh, you know, struck out 11, I think walked 7. And Harry Bikin was our pitching coach. Uh, who had been a great uh, pitcher with the Cardinals, and they said, uh, well, what do you want to see Palmer do? He said, well, we want to get that pitch count down in the 140s. So, uh, again, you know, they counted them, but uh, you just kind of threw them, and that's what you got paid for. I, I, you know, Andrew Castro, who's going to pitch for the Orioles tonight, said, I don't I, I don't realize how you um, pitched all those innings and, you know, threw all those pitches. I said, well, because we had to. And, uh, you know, the, the A's were no different. Uh, you know, if you look at Vita's first year in 71 or Catfish or – Kenny Holtzman or a lot of the guys. In fact, you know, Raleigh Fingers is in the Hall of Fame. I think most people think because of his ability, you know, to save games and as a relief pitcher. But I actually uh, end up winning the game here 3-2 against him uh, when he was a starting pitcher. So, you know, they had a lot of great pitchers for the A's and, you know, had a lot of position players that could beat you in so many different ways. You know, the first time I met you was in 1999 at the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I think of that era that you played in, all the great players in the National League, in the American League, and those all-star games that you had were so legendary. What was it like really playing in one of the great eras where it really had so much talent? Well, this is a – I mean, I don't want to demean the, you know, the, the era we have now, but here in 1970, um, Earl Weaver had said at the luncheon I was going to be the next 30-game winner. I hadn't won 20 yet. Uh, of course, I would go on to win 20 games eight out of the next nine years, but – you know, so, you know, Mays led off, and Pete Rose hit second. I think Johnny Bench hit third, and Aaron hit fourth. You know, 755 uh, home runs or whatever it was. So, uh, you know, it was a pretty good era. But, uh, you know, again, back then it was my first roommate in baseball when I was 19 in the big leagues was Robin Roberts, who I think he had 605 uh, lifetime starts in 307 complete games. So it was a totally different era. I used to put him to sleep asking him questions, and he said, this is how, he said, number one, the best pitch in baseball is a fastball. You have a great one. I hope you're smart enough to understand that. Number two, you got a fastball you can throw for a strike. You have one you can throw for a ball. Same with your breaking ball. Good luck. And that's how it kind of <laughs> Good started. Night. Yeah. Well, well, he did say, you know, I was, like I said, I was 19, and he was 38, and um, you're about to get run over by, what? what is this, um, by, by a card here. But, uh, he, you know, he said, listen, I'm 38, you're 19. He said, I need to get some sleep. So that's enough questions for now. But but just think about the dynamics when you're 19 years old and you get to, you know, have back, you know, back then he did have roommates, and Robin was good enough to actually help me uh, eventually become as good a pitcher as I would become. That and the fact that I played on, you know, one of the better organizations in baseball at that time. Oh, no doubt about it. The Oriole way, as they used to say, the great Jim Palmer joins us here on A's Cast Live. And you think of all the the science that we have now with all the radar and the track man and these high-tech cameras. 
Would you have liked to have all that back in your day to know your spin rate and your spin efficiency and that kind of stuff? Well, you know, Earl Weaver is one of the first guys that started using a, uh, you know, he's a Hall of Fame manager. He's since you know, passed away about four years ago. But he used a radar gun because if a guy couldn't, it would lose velocity late in the ball game. And, you know, the year we all won 20 games in, in 71, Coyar, McNally, Pat Dobson, and myself, we had 72 complete games. But if you would lose velocity, and those guys usually didn't, uh, that wasn't the case for them. You know, Steve Stone won, you know, won the Cy Young Award in 1980, won 25 games. But if he lost velocity in the seventh or eighth inning, he was gone. And that was one of the ways to tell. Um, I think, you know, if you go back and look at that particular era, um, if they had said, okay, why are they hitting all those pop-ups? Why are hitters telling you on when you're pitching on Wednesday, Monday, I'm not going to swing at that high fastball. Tuesday, I'm laying off that high fastball. And Wednesday, they'd swing at it. I I guess I had pretty good spin rate, yeah. um, but I'm not, you know, the hitters kind of told me that. So, you know, I think now I go again, because I think in, in this age and and I, and again, I'm not, you know, say anything to denigrate the modern day pitcher because, you know, this year, particularly because the ball's so alive um, or more lively than it's been. Um, it's a different era. You don't throw as much, you, you know, you don't throw 130, 40 pitches. So I used to play a lot of golf with Jim Cott, who won 283 games, 16 straight gold gloves. And he used to always say when we were playing on the golf course, he said, don't you think pitching's feel and touch? So if you don't throw as many pitches, do you really probably have the same feel and touch? You know, it's probably a little more of a max effort game for some guys. So maybe the, you know, the cameras and all the analytics. You know, Buck Showalter was the Oriole manager for, you know, for what, about five or six years, no longer there. But... Um, you know, he was manager of the year, you know, with the Yankees in 94 and then the Rangers in 2004, the Orioles in 2014. And a lot of people said, well, Buck doesn't like analytics. And, and Buck would simply say, if you can make my hitters or my pitchers better, I'm all for analytics. But let's not everybody's the same. So, you know, while I, I don't think while I think it can help people and, you know, it can teach you. Um, Maybe how to st- how to stay behind your uh, your fastball a little bit better, or maybe underneath your breaking ball, so you'll have better, you know, horizontal and vertical break. Um, so does a good windup, and those cameras don't teach you a, a good windup. What they do is maybe get let you know when you have a bad windup. But we always, you know, the hitter always told us that. You know, they always say, "What's that? Uh, that you know, maybe it's that, that verbiage." The hitter's always going to tell you how you're pitching. So when I and, and I think about you know. You as a pitcher and your era, you guys were actually able to learn how to pitch and pitch through trouble. And that's the thing I'm a little bit worried, like in the minor leagues now. We're babying these guys so much, they don't know how to pitch through trouble. And now we're getting into this world of five and dive. Well, I, you know, we used to always call it, you know, five and fly. And, uh, you know, there have been some pretty good pitchers that did that in my era, but not, not a whole lot of them. Um, you know, I watch spring training games. I, you know, we don't broadcast that many. So I'll probably do two, three, maybe four spring training games. And in my era, you know, you you would pitch on Wednesday. You'd pitch two innings in an inter-squad game. You'd pitch three innings on Saturday because we pitched every fourth day. We'd actually pitch one day shorter. And then you'd go to four innings, five innings maybe once, seven innings three or four times, and then you go down the bullpen. So if you had to pitch extra innings on opening day, um, you can do that. I mean, Burt Blylevin beat me on a misplayed fly ball in the 10th inning opening day uh, in Baltimore. Uh, probably in, I don't know, 1971 or two. So, again, you had to train yourself. That's what you got paid for. 
Uh, and you know, Earl Weavers, you know, who was you know Hall of Fame manager, would say, "Listen, if if you're not going to stay out there, we'll find somebody else that can do that." So it's changed a little bit. I, but I do think one thing that you have to be really concerned about when you make more of an investment than they did again with us, even though you still have to have you know 10 pitches when I p- pitched, and now it's 13. Is if a guy, a young pitcher, does not have a good windup, you don't want to have him throwing, you know, 95 or 100 pitches and hurting himself. So I think it's kind of a fine line. But if a guy can pitch, he has a good windup, he can repeat it. The only way you do learn to pitch when you're a little bit tired or exhausted or whatever word you want to term it is, is to actually get a chance to do that. And you're right about the fact that they don't let guys out there. But you know, most clubs want to win ball games, and they look at the numbers. Now we all know that the third time through an order, um, you know, the batting average usually goes up, so you're gone, and they go to the bullpen. I mean, one of Oakland's great strengths last year was their bullpen. This year, you know, at least to this point, not so much. So that needs to change for the, you know, for the A's to get back to and, and start winning baseball games. You know, one thing I've always wanted to ask you, because for many, many years, when you walked into a department store, <laughs> there was Jim Palmer. You were the spokesman for Jockey. And there you were in your underwear. Did you realize when you first agreed to that deal that it was going to be so big for your career? Well, actually, I, I went up on the Metro Liner, $35 round trip to New York. Pete Rose missed his flight. They spent $5,000 to fly him in from uh, from Atlanta on a private jet. So right then, I, I I think I looked a little bit better than Pete because there were nine. <laughs> there were actually uh, there were nine. There were nine athletes in the first ad, and it was take away the uniforms and what do you have? So. You know, I did that, and the next year I did another ad where actually I, I was throwing kind of a, I don't know what they call it, some kind of, you know, slow motion thing. And uh, and then it, that was, what, 77, 78, and in 79 I didn't use anybody. And then, you know, meanwhile I had done some appearances for them and things like that. So they asked me in 1980, and I, I played for the Orioles, and we had the best winning percentage the 20 years I was there. I knew that maybe I could go to New York or some other place and make a little bit more money, but... You know, you're you're trying to raise, I, you know, two girls, trying to raise them. Uh, they like Baltimore. It's a you know great place to, to to grow up. And I knew that I if I could stay healthy, I had a chance to win 20 games. I, I don't think I ever thought about getting to the Hall of Fame, but I, I know that the immediate goal was to stay healthy and win 20 games. And you know, we had the type of club that maybe didn't go to the World Series every year, but we certainly were in contention. So I just tried to figure out a way. So how can I make as much money as as I would have if I played in with the Yankees by playing with the Orioles, and underwear became uh, my vehicle. Well, I mean, uh-huh. you, 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 could, you could go into, like, I remember this one store. I grew up in San Diego. It was called Bullocks. And you'd walk in. There would be a whole section of just you. No, no, no. It's not quite that. We, You know, they didn't want to turn people off. But I, I, I was waiting for a car in Chicago, and a, and a, 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 a nice-looking guy and a, an even nicer-looking woman was walking down the sidewalk. It's on a Saturday morning, and... You know, I got like five minutes for the car to get there, and uh, the guy says, well, wait a minute, you're Jim Palmer. He said, I'm Bill Farley. I, I own or I run Union Underwear. We make 40% of the underwear made in this country, either private label for department stores, etc." And he said, you know, the big one of the great mysteries, he says, you do a great job with jockey. I said, well, I just work for him. He said, no, no, one of the great mysteries in life is we have 40% in the market, and everybody thinks jockey is the biggest underwear house in the United States. And I said, well, obviously you have the wrong people working for you. <laughs> so he got a laugh out of that. So, um, but again, they, you know, they, they, I, you know, I was in Sports Illustrated. I was in, I mean, a lot, most of the magazines, uh, you can name it. And, 
again, I had company for the first two years, and then I was kind of a, a you know, until Bart Connor, the gymnast, came on, and, you know, and then they got into women's underwear and things like that. So it was a good run. I did a probably five or 600 store appearances. I got to meet people throughout the country um, that love baseball. And, you know, if you Bill Herman was the guy that thought this up. He's, men would have liked to have done what I was able to do and be part of, you know, World Series teams and things like that. And 75% of uh, men's underwear is bought by women. And they test, they really, they actually took the tall guy. They tested Steve Garvey and, and, and Jim Palmer, me. I sound like Reggie when I say Jim Palmer and me. And, um, you know, they're talking about uh, third person. Uh, cakes, that was my nickname. But anyway, they tested the two of us, and they chose me because I was a little bit taller than Steve. The straw that stirs the drink in the underwear world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for your hey, time well, today. You're welcome. Well, this good is, luck with the show. This was awesome. Yeah, it's a new thing in Major League Baseball, and hopefully we'll all look back at this and uh, we'll remember where it all started. Right here on the field oh, in Oakland. Okay, I wanted to know about that. <laughs> anyway, well, thanks, guys. Mr. Palmer, okay. thank you for You're, your time. Oh, One of the pleasure. greats of all time. Thank really you. super cool to catch up with Jim Palmer. What a career he had and a, and a really terrific man. Our next guest is the premier sports agent in American history. There is no doubt the Boris Corporation has made more money for athletes than any other sports agency in the history of American sports, and I would bet, I may be wrong, but sports around the world. He has represented everybody from A-Rod to Bryce Harper to you name it. He has gotten the biggest contracts you have ever seen in Major League Baseball history. Scott Boris is the man. He has changed the game, there's no question. And he's Logan Davidson's agent, the first-round pick, and probably the most important, he's Matt Chapman's agent. So we ask him about Logan Davidson. We ask him about an extension with Matt Chapman. We talk about how the game's changing. Here is super agent Scott Boris. He's the super agent. The man has changed the game over the years, and he's joining us now because a special day as your client was taking BP. And I got to think for you as an agent, when guys sign with you, it's about their careers, and you help them through their careers. It's kind of like a proud papa for you. Well, certainly it's something for me that when you've known him since high school and and you hope that he would go to college, and in this case, Logan got his degree in three years, achieved that, which is one of his goals, and then to improve as a player, be a switch hitter, and you know, and become the player he's become and become a first-round draft pick. It's a tall order. It's a tall order. And so a lot of credit to his father, Mark, who's a big leaguer, and uh, mother, Linda, they really – did a lot of things because most athletes do not take the course that Logan's taken being so disciplined academically and, and athletically to get where he's at. So I, I really think that the A's got a great talent, but they also got a, a person and a, and a learning player, which really fits well with the model of the type of players they choose. Yeah, it's the modern-day organizations. I know we're all about a lot of data out there, but you want character in that clubhouse character wins championships and that's something that that we have seen with him and it's great to see his family and his sister and his girlfriend as just the, the start of everything one thing that really caught our eye he's taller than i thought he was going to be so he's got some big shoulders for his shortstop yeah the comparison was Corey, uh, one of our other clients Corey seager who's also around six three six four and he's got leverage and athleticism and can really move around the diamond and uh so he is a, a guy that he's going to get stronger. 
And uh, as you can see, the ball, he hit a few balls out here. Um, you know, he's going to be a, a very, very good offensive shortstop. And I, uh, I had Matt go over and throw next to him. And when you get next to the Chapman arm, you got to be cautious. But <laughs> I, I thought Logan stood up pretty nicely against him, you know, throwing the ball across the infield. So we're all interested in Matt Chapman, your client, because, you know, we want him here for his entire career. We want him to be the face of the franchise. We want him leading the charge into the new ballpark. Have you had discussions with Billy and David about a, a potential contract extension for Matt? You know, I, I think when you have Matt in an organization, we always do. We listen, obviously, because that's what Matt's instructed me to do because um, I work for Matt and, and, and in the process of the ownership and the Fisher family and, and, uh, and Billy and David. Obviously, we sit down and talk about it. I think the Oakland, the Oakland franchise is one that's it's, – I think being from Northern California, you can explain to your clients a lot about where, where we're going here. And this is really going to be a, an excellent base for a major league franchise because uh, we're going to see this Bay Area grow from 9, 10 million people to 13, 14. We're going to see the transition of the city of Oakland. Uh, you know, we're going to see a lot of people that are in the workforce in the 30s and 40s, the, the tech world. And corporate uh, dynamic. We're gonna we're gonna see major changes in this area, and coupled with that is the future of Major League Baseball. Because I think Major League Baseball is gonna have a. You just have a market in Japan and Korea that is almost an additional, you know, 180 million people. So you may see as many as five franchises, and then you're gonna have this time zone. You're gonna have a, a trans-Pacific uh, entity to our game. Um, so I, I think we're uh, to have franchises in these areas grow up to be what they should be and that is major components of the league um, I think Oakland has all that and that definition and that evolution I think this ownership has a vision for uh, beginning with the stadium and once players see that that actually is going to happen and that this becomes a destination to stay uh, then the the culture of what players think of Oakland is not a three or four year stay but maybe a career dynamic uh, once that is something that is realized and believed uh, with the definition of a base and an ownership uh, commitment to do all that I think then you're going to see players look at this area and and this franchise very differently than they did in the past yeah because I know doing the post game they want this kid signed because this fan base absolutely loves him I, wa I want to get in with you about since the World Series of last year when the Red Sox won to where we are today, I, I, I stopped keeping track, but it's like 38, 39 extensions instead of guys going to free agency. We've seen a record number of extensions. Why do you think we're seeing that with, with this modern-day player? Well, I think one of the things that uh, in 2008 we had 51 players that were qualifiers, had 500 plate appearances that were 30 and above. 2018 we have the same number the game is not getting younger because we need veteran players to play they have to be good veteran players and the number of them obviously there's only 50 or so every decade that can play with that age now what there is less of there's a lot of less of part-time players that are 30 and under playing but the level of young players and the level of contracts this may be a surprise because people don't know it but it hasn't changed you can go back 10 years ago, and I can give you extensions for close to 15 or 20 great young players. Ken Griffey Jr. signed early. You can you can go right down the list. And and so the truth of it is it's more publicized when you're talking about, about Acuna, 
and uh, <laughs> I'm, you almost got you almost got hit by the mayor. <laughs> uh, I, I was a, I was a 290 hitter, but I made a lot of errors. It worried me. <laughs> you were a, you, you were a Padre farmhand, right? Uh, I actually played for the Cubs and the Cardinals. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and so. When you're, when you're, uh, uh, we have the mayor tossing balls. I yes. Okay. I better tell her that I'm a Northern California resident. I don't know. <laughs> but the, uh, we, uh, we've got a, uh, uh, a dynamic in the game where we tend to focus on the young players. But frankly, when you look at the winning franchises, it's really about a combination of doing three things. The trilogy. You have to do it in the draft and you have to do it. Uh, in trades, and you have to do it in free agency. When you go to the Cubs or the Astros, and then people talk about it, Cubs spent 450 to 500 million dollars in free agent players. You know Hayward, Lester, Lackey, you know Zobrist. You can go down that. Granted, they had a great draft with Bryant, Almora, Baez, and then they made trades with Addison Russell here, and um, you know Urizzo to build their team. And you can go and tear every team down. So to get players in free agency and to get and to get them to stay here and also to sign your draft picks, you've got to have a, a platform, a definition that says, we've got to have a commitment to do all those things if we want to have a, a winning baseball team in today's culture. You know, we have more data than ever before, and we have a lot of this track, man, and Rapsado and the high-tech cameras. Do you ever talk with your players about it? Because sometimes this may not be what's best for your client. You always want to have what's best for your client. Well, I, I, I love information. The old story is, is that information is always helpful. The question is, with each individual player, what weight do you put on the information with that player? And so you may have a player that says, oh, you know, my spin rate goes way up when I do this, this, and this. But the reality of it is he then loses his angle on his fastball when his spin rate goes up. And then when he does that, he's not pitching how he used to pitch to get himself to the big leagues. And then he's lost the way that he's pitched by an adjustment that increases his spin rate, which they're happy about, but his pitchability has been lost. So in the melding of modern-day technology, metrics, and evaluation, you have to also include psychology, player history, and also a performance gradient where his ability to do what he needs to do his way. Because some players have deception, and that deception has nothing to do with the spin rate. So consequently, if he increases his spin rate and loses his deception, you may have a, a, an easier look at the baseball with a greater spin rate, but then the hitter has more time because he sees it earlier. So all these things have to be graded into how you look at each component. And, and certainly more information is great and um, I don't think the mayor understands the concept that I'm going to protect you. you. Know, that that, uh, that uh, she is a wonderful politician and, and can't throw a lick. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, so when you, uh, um, I, I don't know if she wants our evaluation, but the, let's move you over yeah, here. Let's the, move you over here. There we go. Okay. So you know, when we talk about uh, looking at the human brain. Yeah. Is that the is that the next wave of dealing with players is neurological and seeing how they tick? You know, when you work with players every day and you get phone calls from superstars and they go, I'm lost. And I always tell them, I'm not going to talk to you about your swing. That's for your coaches. You're there every day. But the psychology of what they do and you're talking to them about how they prepare themselves mentally. Like, what are you what are you looking at? Your your problem is your selection, not your swing. So what are you thinking pre-pitch? Well, if I'm thinking about what he may do or he may not do, um, 
you know, excuse me, you have a family, you may, you better watch out over here, the mayor's family. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, the, the idea of it is that there is a whole psychological component that on elite players, great major leaguers, that has a monstrous impact, which is not graded in the algorithm of war, of consistency, and and what we're trying to do. All those things are, are a function of a, uh, a process that a wider range for evaluation and the true value of players has to include. I, I have a lot of teams now that are bringing young players to the big leagues. When you have three young players in the big leagues who are trying to play every day, instead of having a veteran there who's used to playing two or three days a week and he talks to the young players and helps them, all of a sudden the locker room's different, everything's different. So you really got to watch what you do as far as talent development, the psychology of players, your locker room and everything. And that's why I think a lot of these uh, that what we're going to see in the future is weights put on the value of metrics and more weight put on the psychology of it because frankly uh, all the modern technology is not doing a lot of things that they thought it would do. It's been helpful but the truth of the matter is is that it has to be integrated in a way where we probably need to look at other factors about players as much or more as we do the technical factors of their performance. Hey, it's an absolute honor to have you on the program. We truly appreciate Chris, it. Chris, great. I'm glad I survived. And, yeah, you, you survived. <laughs> Scott is the man, and let me tell you, he doesn't do a whole heck of a lot of radio interviews, so to get him live like that was pretty, pretty special. Also joining us on that day, the 29th pick in this year's amateur draft, Logan Davidson, shortstop from Clemson, the A's number one pick, stopped by A's Cast Live. And I got to tell you, the first thing that we noticed when he came walking on the field, he's a big dude. Like Melvin's 6'5", and you're like, he walked up to Melvin, and you're like, wow, he's almost as tall as Melvin. And so this guy, kid's about 6'3". He's a, he's a big shortstop. And that's what they like. That's why you like drafting big shortstops. Because shortstops, as I always say on AceCast Live, they're like tight ends in football. They like drafting tight ends because the body size. You can keep them at tight end. You can move them to an offensive lineman, a defensive end. I mean, there's a lot of versatility. Linebacker, there's a lot of versatility with tight ends. And that's like with shortstops. Look at Chad Pender. Chad Pender's a shortstop. He can play third. He can play left. He can play center. He can play right. You can put him anywhere because shortstops usually are great athletes. So here is my conversation with the number one pick, Logan Davidson. Now joining us, he's the number one pick for your Oakland Athletics out of Clemson, Logan Davidson. I'm Chris Townsend. I'm the guy that's been the A's guy for many years. And for all these years, all these players, I'm always their first interview. So welcome to A's Cast Live. And uh, today, a special day for not only you, but for your family. Oh, absolutely. It's been an honor to be here. And I, you know, watching in the press conference, I mean, this is something that you dream about, right? Your first time being in a big league uniform in a big league stadium. And I talked about the pressure where you got all these people. It's not a normal BP. You got all the. What was that like taking BP with all the cameras on you? Oh, man. I mean, you get used to the cameras, honestly. It's a little different trying to get used to the BP thrower and stuff like that. It's definitely a little nerve-wracking. But once you get a feel for it, you just go from there. It's fine. So when you think about the transition from college to now, how excited are you? Just Because you guys had a phenomenal year, obviously, Clemson. You, you didn't get to where you wanted to go. But now you got to focus on being a big leaguer. How, how much do you just want to just get out there and start playing pro ball? I mean, you said it. That's what it is. I mean, I want to get out there and, you know, continue to get better every day. That's what it's all about, you know, getting opportunities. Uh, when you get those opportunities, making the most of them. I'm excited to get started. I'm going out to Vermont to get started. So that's uh, looking forward to that. I think they already started their season, but uh, I'll be out there uh, real soon. So. 
It's probably one of those things the minute you get drafted and Clemson's out, you're like, I'm ready to go. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing else to do. No more sitting around. <laughs> Let's get going, you know. So when think about your size. You're a tall shortstop, and we didn't realize you were going to be this tall. And seeing you, the range that you have, talk about your game. We'll get to the offense. Talk about your game defensively. Uh, I mean, you already touched on it, kind of a bigger body shortstop. So the main thing i got to focus on is footwork. Um, you know, I've been, I haven't been on the dirt in a while, you know, obviously since we got turf and stuff like that. But uh, even uh, Marcus, that's home to me. You know, footwork's a little slow right now. So i got to get back on the dirt and uh, get that get that rolling. But that's the key for me is uh, having good footwork and uh, moving through the ball. As a, as a taller guy, you got to stay low. And, uh, you know, that plays, as footwork plays into the arm throws are good. And I saw you out there with Matt Chapman, who's also a Boris mm-hmm. client, who's arguably the best defensive third baseman, if not infielder in all of baseball. Marcus was up for a gold glove last year. Chapman was the platinum glove. Mm-hmm. What was it like talking with those two guys who were two of the best in baseball? Yeah, that was definitely pretty cool. Uh, I was trying to learn from them. You know, I was asking them questions and stuff, you know, what their routines are like on a, on a game day. Um, pretty cool stuff, you know, to listen to them and, and what they like to do. Obviously, they play every day, so they got to, you know, keep their bodies in check. They can't you know, overdo stuff. Sometimes in college ball, we like to, we like to do a lot more than we need to. Um, but we're also not playing as much as them, but they got to save their bodies sometimes. So uh, they have a good, they have a good uh, short routine and what they what they know they need to do in order to you know get ready for the game. So switch hitter pops from both sides of the plate. You said earlier you like to play with a flare. You know a lot of switch hitters we don't see have tremendous power. But talk about when your power first started to come to you. Uh, probably senior year of high school. I mean from junior to senior is my biggest jump. Um, I didn't really. No, I don't think anyone really saw it coming. I mean, I, hit, I only hit nine, which is not that phenomenal, you know, in high school, but it's it's a decent amount. And then uh, just kind of continue to transfer into college, um, you know, freshman season, and then sophomore just kept getting more and more, and just like, you know, consistent hard contact is what you're looking for because you don't you don't have to try to hit it out. You just kind of it'll carry if you make make good contact with it. So the A's have talked about they've been looking at you since you were in high school. Did you know you've been on their radar for this long? Uh, not particularly. I mean, I, I didn't really know for sure. I mean. Not until, you know, they, they called my name, which is, you know, a pretty cool moment for me and my family. I was thinking about this. There's something about the draft and for college baseball at the time. It's got to be pretty nerve-wracking for all you guys. Is you've got a goal to win a national championship, but yet you guys are getting drafted and you're finding out during games that you've been drafted. And it's what is that like when you got to focus on trying to win with Clemson, but yet you know you're getting drafted? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, Clemson's the main focus. You know, that's what it is. You, you gotta, you gotta do what you, you can to help your team win. That's what it's all about. Um, but you know, as soon as we kind of lost out of the regional, unfortunately, didn't make it as far as we wanted to. Um, you know, we were, we were on a bus ride back for you know almost the entire day on draft day, and uh, I just learned to kind of figure out the answer. I don't know when people ask me <laughs> stuff because I don't know. Uh, there's too many variables. You can't try to predict anything in in baseball. Um, so I was just, you know, I was just getting, didn't really know what to expect going in. I mean. Uh, I didn't know where I was going, obviously. You have no, no clue. And just being on the bus all day, you don't really talk to anybody or anything. Um, but, I mean, it worked out it worked out great. You know, I'm here in Oakland today, and, and yesterday has been a pretty awesome experience for me. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, you're in the Bay Area, one of the great parts of the country. And, and you said in your press conference you know about the A's, and a lot of young players know about the A's because of the movie in the book Moneyball. That's right. That's right. Yep. I've seen the movie. Great movie. So when I think about Oakland – you know, there's a lot of Clemson's guys coming to Oakland after the NFL is, draft and you're coming around. I mean, there's a, Clemson will be well represented here in the Bay Area for the next few years. They will for sure. Something about these Clemson boys they like. 
when you start projecting, I know they asked you in the press conference, and it's very tough when someone says, hey, when are you going to believe the big leagues? I mean, but you have an idea as a college player, far different from a high school player, you want to get there pretty fast. So when you start thinking, do you have an idea? I'm not going to even ask what that number, that amount of years, but yeah. do you have an idea? I mean, years-wise, I have no idea. I'm just, think, I'm just thinking, I mean, I'm grateful to be in an organization that allows people to have great opportunities and continue to get opportunities and, you know, just make the most of them, like I said earlier, as I get them, you know, just make sure I keep my, keep preparing and uh, keep putting in my hard work and be ready for those. Your dad was in the big leagues. How much do you think that's going to help you? A lot. I mean, I learned a lot from him. I mean, I don't even know where to start. I mean, he started me off switch hitting when I was three years old because he knew kind of the struggles of hitting the right on right slider or whatever it is. Um, so, I mean, I, I owe a lot to him and my family. I'm very thankful for them. And, you know, having them out here today and yesterday has been a blessing. It's been awesome for me. So, if you started at three, but you're a natural right-handed when you were a little kid? I've always thrown right-handed. I've started switching since I was three because he knew <laughs> he, he knew what to expect. So, I can thank him for that. I mean, growing up, you're, you're hitting mostly from the left side because everybody's a right-handed thrower. But until you get to college ball, then it kind of bounces out. I think sophomore year, I actually got, you know, 20 or 20-some more at-bats from the right side, which is the first year since I've, you know, been switch-hitting that I've gotten more from the right side. But definitely bounced out. And one of the difficult balances for a switch hitter is maintaining both swings. Tough, tough. So when you look at maintaining both, are both your swings similar? Are they different? And how do you maintain both swings? They're, I'd say they're, they're similar in their ways, but they're definitely not the same swing. Um, I'm a right-hand dominant because I'm a right-hand thrower. So I like to, you know, it's, I get to the ball probably quicker from, from the right side just because of that top hand. Um, from the left side, sometimes I have a tendency to kind of dip because that right hand still dominant is kind of pulling through. Um, so I get, do a lot of one-hand stuff to kind of balance that out. Um, as far as maintaining goes, <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's a tough one. I mean, sometimes they're both feeling great, and that's kind of rare. Um, but for me, it's more when I, where I'm getting my at-bats from. If I'm getting more at-bats from one side of the plate, I'm probably more comfortable from there. Which side do you have more power from? I'd say raw power, probably right-handed. Now, oh, I don't even know. <laughs> it's pretty close. It's pretty close, I will say. Whichever side I'm working from the most at the time is kind of depending on the starters and stuff you're seeing. Um, I don't know. I can hit them pretty good from both sides. I think what's going to be good for you in pro ball, you're going to see a lot of left-handed pitchers. So, you, so yeah, I can see where a lot of right-handed dominant as you're coming up. College, you'll see more. In pro ball now, you'll see a lot more left-handers, and that should really play for your right side. Yeah, absolutely. Just going going straight to the ball with that top hand is key for me. Um, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I like hitting lefties. So where do you go? Are you going straight to Vermont from here? Yes, that's what I've been told. Well, let's get it going. That's right. Let's go. Congratulations on getting signed. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I, you know, for a baseball player, time to get work, working out and all that's got to get old as you want to get out and play. Oh, yeah. So absolutely. congratulations. Go enjoy the moment uh, with your family, and we'll see you down in spring training. And good luck to you in Vermont. Sounds good. Thank you all. Got an idea. He's going to have a good career. He's got some pop in the bat, very athletic, very good arm. It was fun to watch him take ground balls, not only with Matt Chapman, but also with Marcus Simeon. Our last one here was a lot of fun because we did we had no clue. All of a sudden, they go, Mayor Libby Schaff's going to join you. You know, it's like all of a sudden, there she was, right? And what Libby Schaff is trying to do for kids in Oakland to get them in college, it was one of the reasons why she showed up that day at the ballpark is really, really cool. But the number one thing for us as A's fans is the fact that Libby Schaff is about getting a new ballpark built down at Howard Terminal. She is walking arm in arm with Dave Cavill. And you need that. The the mayor, the city has to be in on it for it to get done.
She's from Oakland. We'll talk about this. I have a very good friend that went to high school with her, so I've gotten to know a little bit, a little bit about her. She's pretty cool, and I always like interviewing her. Here is the mayor of Oakland, Libby Schaff. And we welcome the mayor of Oakland, Libby Schaff, who joins us here on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. It's an honor to have you on our program. Thank you so much for stopping by. We know what a big A's fan you, you are. Yes, no, it is so exciting to be down here on the field. And I'm here, of course, for another reason tonight. It's Oakland Promise Night at the A's game. Yes, you're throwing out the first pitch, too. Are you, you got the arm ready to go? Um, let me just tell you, I am a better mayor than pitcher. <laughs> Thank God. Well, I know you're good people because we have a mutual friend, Sean Carroll, who grew up with you. Absolutely. And, and uh, I've talked a lot finding out about you through Sean. So uh, I, I know a lot of the stuff that you've done, some great stuff before you even were mayor. But let's talk about Oakland Thank Promise. God he's not telling you all the stories <laughs> from high school, yeah. our Skyline High School days. Tell us exactly what Oakland Promise is and why it means so much to you. Well, listen, Oakland Promise is a cradle-to-career initiative where we are wrapping ourselves around Oakland students to make sure that they can go to and through four-year college, two-year college, or trade school. We want our kids to succeed, and we want them to know that an entire community is behind them from the day they're born, from the day they start kindergarten. And the Oakland A's have been such a great partner for the Oakland Promise. And I think about education. My wife's a teacher in Milpitas, and so you, you see the struggles. And now, you know, for us, think about what college costs for us and what it costs now. It's insane. It is insane, and it's not just tuition. It's the cost of housing and food and the whole shebang. And that's one thing that's great about Oakland Promise. The financial assistance we provide is not just for tuition. It's for your books. It's for your living expenses. And I want you to know that the A's have been great. They have been incentivizing, for example, seniors to fill out the FAFSA. That's the form to get your financial aid from the state and federal government. We want every student to know that this is an option for them. And the A's have been great partners. So if you're a senior in Oakland, Oakland, you need to sign up for this right now. Absolutely. And listen, it's not just for high school students. We give every kindergartner a $100 scholarship during their kindergarten wow. year. We do matched. If parents want to open a savings account, a college savings account, we will contribute $50 to reward that. We also are providing future centers for our middle schoolers and high schoolers to kind of demystify the whole college thing. And we even are starting with some of our babies. Uh, we are uh, have a pilot with, with parents from the moment their child is born, they get a $500 college savings account. They get financial coaching because we want them to see every child as college material from the moment they're born. That's what championship is about, right? Do you, do you, do you think this is something that could be adopted by all towns around the cross of, across America? You know, I can tell you right now that at least 20 cities across America are trying to replicate the Oakland Promise. We've been featured by Harvard, by Stanford. Uh, Jill Biden, the, the second lady of America, has um, highlighted our Promise program here in Oakland because we start earlier and we go later. We don't just give a scholarship. We actually provide a mentor to help those kids get to and through college. It's it's really the whole nine yards, and that's what's so exciting because that's how we do it in Oakland. Exactly. We don't do anything halfway. So you got to do it all. You think about how the A's have been the first in so many different things in baseball. What you What you're seeing right here, Right now, we're the only team in Major League Baseball that's doing this. We are the guinea pig for all 30 teams. So 
everywhere you look in Oakland, whether it's Oakland or it's the Oakland A's, there's always a first. That is right. And you know what? In Oakland, we always represent. We are change makers. We are radicals. We always want to do things first and best. The A's are no exception. The Oakland Promise is no exception. It is definitely a place where we are bigger and better, and we are unafraid to do things that are super ambitious like building a new ballpark at Howard Terminal. Hashtag rooted in Oakland. And I, <laughs> wanted to, I wanted to get your opinion on this because I think that the last Warriors game really finally woke people up that they are leaving. They're going to be San Francisco's team now. Ooh. But that's why it means so much to get this new ballpark that you want to get done down at Howard Terminal for your age. Oh, my gosh. I have had this vision since when I was campaigning for mayor six years ago. Like, this has been my dream. As an Oakland girl, I always say, you know, I grew up, we never had blueberry muffins. We only had Vita blueberry muffins <laughs> in my house. So, um, yes, it is a bold vision. It's very exciting. I knew from the day I became the mayor that I was going to be saying goodbye to the Warriors, but I was fighting to keep my A's rooted in Oakland. And now we've got alignment. We've got ownership and management that are all fired up about this vision of a waterfront ballpark with great amenities, great activity, people walk into the game, and actually some beautiful development right here in East Oakland to actually memorialize this historic field, all the great moments in sports history that have happened here, but in a way that actually is gonna serve East Oakland residents a lot more than this facility even does now. So I, you know, I, I think about it because I've been doing this a long time before you were even mayor, and, and for years I've seen renderings, I've heard about different towns, I've seen everything. Really, for the first time, I'm telling people, Dave Cavill is getting it done. He's getting the votes. He's in Sacramento. He's everywhere. He, the two of you, the way you're making this happen, this is really real. You know. I sometimes feel like I have a clone because I'm everywhere at the same time. I think Dave has two clones. That man is amazing. Um, but we are so aligned and it is getting done. And it's no easy feat to develop on the waterfront. We know it's an incredible um, asset. It's fragile. It's, it's important to our environment. But the A's are doing everything right. They really are listening to their community. They have approached this with a level of humility that is maybe a little unique in the professional sports world, and just uh, an attitude that we don't know the meaning of no. It does not exist in our vocabulary. This and, is happening. And what will that mean for your town, Jack London Square, to have a ballpark there and just so vibrant? Well, it's just gonna be exciting because People can get there in so many ways besides driving a car. Um, it's gonna have good BART access, the ferry, the train. We're gonna have the gondola. I love the gondola. Just think of all the first kisses that are gonna happen <laughs> in that gondola. People are gonna be walking there, and yes, if you need to drive, you can still get there, but it's gonna be surrounded by so much vitality. We already have great stuff at Jack London Square. West Oakland is happening, and it's gonna be just a model for environmental stewardship. That is also really exciting. One more time, how can everybody get more information on Oakland Promise? Okay, Oakland Promise. Go to oaklandpromise.org, oaklandpromise.org, and sign up to be a champion. We show our kids every year the list of individuals who have simply signed their name to say, 
I believe in you. I believe every kid in Oakland should go to college and we as a community should support them. Sign up as a champion at oaklandpromise.org and then there are some other ways you can get involved beyond that as well. And coming onto the field, you talked about the clone, Dave Cavill coming onto the field. So it's a, it's a jam-packed day here. I just thought this was going to be a Monday against the Orioles. Who knew we would have all this going on today? Well, you're doing a heck of a job, and we, as A's fans, have always appreciated your support, your love for this franchise, knowing that we, we got to do everything we can to get a new ballpark for this great franchise. Oh, yeah, no, the head of MLB will tell you, uh, Rob Manfred, like I, I stalked him the moment I got elected because I knew that this town and this team belong together forever and always. The squeaky wheel gets the grease, as my late mother used to say. So keep doing it and keep charging for us. We're very thankful. And get that arm ready to go. All right. Get that arm. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> like I said, it's better at signing legislation than uh, throwing a ball. But I will do my best for the kids. Thank you very much. We really appreciate Thank the you. time. Really well, that's going to do it for A's Unfiltered. Next time around, you're going to be hearing a lot of this during the All-Star break. Our next one, we're going to have quite a bit MLB Network. It's going to be Chris Russo, the Mad Dog. It's also going to be Chris Rose from the MLB Network and also the great work that he does for the NFL Network. And we're going to get two guys that join me that are players for other teams. You know, we weren't quite sure if we'd be able to get players from other teams to come down and join us, but we've been able to do that. The opener, Ryan Stanek from the Rays and Trey Mancini from the Orioles. They will also join us next time. All right, that's going to do it for A's Unfiltered. We'll see you at the ballpark. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.